This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. It's really good to see everyone tonight. Uh, we have a good crowd and uh, we're hopeful that you're benefited by tonight's lesson. As, as you can see by the, the PowerPoint screen, uh, we're going to be focusing on mission tonight. And, and, you know, one of the things I noticed is, is looking at this graphic that there's a lot of different things that, that, that we think about as we think about the work of the church and we think about our own activity and, and about different aspects of, of interacting with each other. And, and we think about all those things, but, but what do we think about the goal of everything that we do, about the mission of the church? And so for a moment, uh, we're going to have some familiar things to a couple of months ago here at the beginning, but I want to just start for a moment, and I want to take you back and talk about where we've been. You know, as we look at that picture, I'll tell you what that picture does to me. It fills me up full of emotions. It fills me up full of memories, good memories, uh, times that we spent, uh, maybe interactions that we had. Uh, eventful things in our life and maybe perhaps this also fills, with us, fills us with a little bit of sadness uh, because those memories also, we, we have a longing for, for, for the past and for, uh, you know, those things are good. They're good for us to remember and to, and to think about and to bring us maybe joy and also maybe even some sadness and, and, and we've been greatly enriched by the past and I don't want us to forget about the past because the past determines the present. We've had many men that stood up in this building and they took a stand for truth and they kept the church open and they, they tried to grow the church and do many things. And, and we should look back and appreciate all the things that have been done in the past. But I'll tell you something, we can appreciate the past, but we cannot focus on the past. Because if we focus on the past, we'll never move forward. And the mission is not to, to honor, even to honor those that have, have come before us or even to adhere to different things that they may have dealt with because I tell you, where we're at now is different. It's different. We're in a different place. Not just geographically, but we're in a different place as it pertains to opportunity. There's opportunity abounding here in Wheeler, Texas. We're in a different place. Uh, we have different leadership. We have different members. We have different challenges. And I want us to think about that because we can't, focus, we can't focus on the past, but we can't also be complacent about the present because there's a future. And so where are we going? Where are we headed? You know, sometimes that can get very confused if we don't understand that it's God that directs our future. He determines our destination. It's not up to us to say, where does the church need to go? What does the church need to be doing? That has to be guided by God and his word. And so I want to talk with you about that for just a little bit tonight. And I want to remind you of something that we talked about a couple of months ago, and that's this. Without cancel plans, without cancel, without counsel, plans go awry. Or they go astray. Or they fall by the wayside, we might say. But in the multitude of counselors... They are established. Well, this word counsel means a session, a company of persons in close deliberation, a, a consultation. You know, sometimes we, we think about preaching as a lecture. We think about preaching as someone getting up and telling us what they know. But I'll tell you what this is. This is the war room. This is not the battlefield. This is the war room. This is where we plan. 
This is where we have counsel. We, we get together and we strengthen one another and we talk about what we're supposed to be doing when we leave this place. Because this is not Christianity. This is a part of Christianity. Our life is our... We, we talk about the Christian life like it's something separate from our regular life. This is our life. And this is the war room. And it's important that we come together and that we're all on the same page. And we walk together and we're all working together for the same mission. For the same mission. Plans are established. You know what is more frustrating to me than anything? When we plan to do something and we do nothing. That's frustrating. Very frustrating. And I'll tell you, there's two things that went up in failure. When we plan to do nothing and we do nothing after we plan. Either one of those is going to end in failure. But when we make plans, we've got to see that through. And I believe God expects us to plan. He expects us to look out in the future, to find that point, to find that goal and move toward that goal. And everything we do should be moving toward that goal. And I'll tell you what that takes. And nobody likes that. Nobody likes change, do we? I'll tell you, there's been moments in my life where I've looked at my life and I said, I'm going nowhere. I'm going nowhere. And I got to move. I got to get off a of high center. I got to get moving. But you know, I know what that's going to take. You know what it's going to take? It's going to take me changing. Me changing. And we don't like to change. But I'll tell you, when we get mission-centered, when we get focused on what God has for us, our purpose we got to focus on the mission. And when we do that, we got to change some things. we got to get more organized. We, we, can't, we can't fulfill the mission that God's given us if we're not organized and we're chaotic and we're just all doing things, but we're not going toward the right destination. We've got to be more intentional with what we do, thinking about how is this helping our mission. We've got to be more committed. And I'll tell you, that's a tough one for us, isn't it? It's tough to be committed, and I'll tell you why. Because we got distractions abounding. Distractions abounding. But I want you to know something, friends. I don't care what your last name is here, what your position is here. God needs you to be committed in his kingdom. He needs you to be committed in his kingdom. You're an important part of fulfilling the mission that God's given us. I'll tell you, it's going to take more study. And I'll tell you why I say it takes more study to really fulfill the mission. Because the moment... That we quit studying God's word. We quit focusing on God's word. And I'm not talking about just here. I'm talking about in our homes. I'm talking about day to day. I'm talking about a few times a week maybe. Maybe once or twice a week. I don't know what the magic number is. But I'll tell you this. The moment we lose focus of our mission. It's going to be because we're not in God's word. You find somebody that's meditating in God's word on a consistent basis. You're going to find a worker for the Lord. That's the truth. And we'll lose sight of that if we're not careful. And we've got to be studying God's word and meditating on God's word. And I'm going to take, tell you it's going to take more involvement from not just the leadership of this congregation, but from every single member. And I'm going to tell you something else it takes is fellowship. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later, about fellowship. And I'm going to tell you an undervalued thing that we don't talk about enough is this right here. I cannot tell you how many people have been connected with Jesus Christ and his gospel because of that right there. 
That right there made all the difference. And I know that. I know that for a fact because I'll tell you, I've got a wife that's at home. And she is committed to Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what changed her mind was that right there. Was somebody showed her love. And that was different from the religious experiences she had had before. And don't undervalue any of these things. But I'll tell you, we could do all that. We could do all those things and not have the right purpose. And it be all for naught. Be all for naught. We could look at all that activity and say, look at what we're doing. We're, we're active, we're burning, we're working, we're laboring. But, but I'll tell you, if it's not for the right reason, it's all for naught. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of churches right now. And I'm, not, I'm not standing up here to be critical of other churches. I'm just telling you, there's a lot of churches who have more activity than this congregation. They have tons of activity. You look at them, they're always constantly doing something. But I'll tell you, sometimes the mission is off. And what was the mission of the first century church? Did they have a vision? You ever thought about that? You know, I think sometimes we look back in the past and we look back at, you know, the first century. We go, you know, those people, they were probably very simple-minded, very uneducated, very unorganized. They, 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 they probably just did the best they could. These people were motivated. And they were mission-centered. You know how we know that? Paul wreaks havoc in the church, comes into Jerusalem, starts persecuting the Christians. What do they do? They leave and what do they do? They go everywhere preaching the word. You know, a lot, of, a lot of times what would probably happen in that situation is someone would come in and start trouble and start persecuting people. And you know what they do? They go home. They go home. Not these people. You know why? They had a mission. They were focused. They had a vision. They knew exactly what their expectations were. And they had goals. And you know, that's gonna, it's going to take those two things. If we're going to get mission-centered, we've got to think about these things. You know, an expectation is a strong belief that something will happen in the future. You know, if I say I expect for that to happen, I've got a reasonable amount of hope that that's going to come to fruition. An expectation. A strong belief something's going to happen in the future. And the goal is that desired result. And the reason I'm bringing this up, I know we're oversimplifying some of this, but, but I want you to know that a goal is very important because sometimes you might see success and think we've reached the goal. Several years ago, there was an international basketball game between Mexico and uh, Slovakia. And Slovakia was shooting... Uh, at the time this young lady right here uh, just to kind of spoiler alert here with very good form she put the basketball right off the corner of this of this square in this backboard and it went through the net success right that's what you're supposed to do in basketball here's the problem this lady's from Mexico Slovakia just missed two free throws and on the second free throw the center turned around and threw the ball to the point guard and she ran right up to Slovakia's goal and put it right in the hoop. And in confusion Slovakia took the ball out, threw it into their point guard and they drove all the way down the court until the referee called backcourt and everybody said, what's going on? They got confused about their goal. That's what was going on. You know, they were celebrating until they realized what was going on because this, this girl succeeded. She made two points. She made two points for the wrong team. And that's the problem. Sometimes we think success is just we're doing something that looks successful. But it's the wrong goal. And I want to talk about what's not the goal. What is not the goal of the church? I'll tell you the first thing that's not the goal, and that's to help people prosper in the world. Now, don't misunderstand me. We're, we're supposed to help one another. We see that in the, in the first century. They helped one another. 
They cared for one another. They provided for one another. But I'll tell you, we've got what's called the American gospel that's being preached today. And I'll I'll tell you why I call it the American gospel. Because you couldn't preach it in any other place but America. Go ahead, take Joel Osteen and Creflo Dollar's message to Africa and see if those people will receive it. They can't. You know why? It's not the land of opportunity. That's not our goal. It's not our goal to make people rich and to help them prosper in the world. I'll tell you what what, what the Bible says about that. It says it's God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. That's our purpose. Our purpose is to not use God as some celestial genie to fulfill our own lives. Our goal is to glorify Him and to do for His good pleasure. His pleasure. And we have turned the gospel into a very self-centered gospel instead of a Christ-centered gospel. And I'll tell you, that's not the goal. It's not the goal. It's not to give people an emotional experience. And I want to say something to clarify that. I'm not against emotion. I know sometimes we are. I'm not against emotion. And I believe when we truly worship God and we do that in spirit and we're really thinking about who God is and we're connecting that with who we are and what he's done for us, we will have an emotional experience. But it's not about giving people an emotional experience. That's not the goal. We could do that. We could give people a very emotional experience. And sometimes people leave with an emotional experience thinking that they fulfilled the goal. We did what God wanted. And I'll tell you what that is. That just looks like the world. That's not our goal. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26 says this. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, each one of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Now listen, let all things be done for edification. That's our goal, to build one another up. And you know, to build up, sometimes you need to do a little rebuking. Building up doesn't necessarily mean everything makes me feel good. Everything comforts me. Sometimes to be edified means you step on my toes. And really, I'll tell you as a preacher, I'm not aiming for your toes. I'm aiming for your heart. And that's what we ought to be thinking about. Because that's what God's word is designed to do. To prick the heart of man. To change his heart. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of a man. That's the goal of our assembling is to edify one another. It's not to just stir people up with emotion and to give them some experience but to connect them with the truth of God's word and with God himself to build them up and encourage them and strengthen them and get us closer to God. And I'll tell you, our goal is not to fill every pew in the building. And one of the reasons why I bring this up at this point is because a lot of times those first two, this is what the goal is. Because if we can give people an emotional experience and we can give them a lot of hope in this world and we make it very self-centered, I'll tell you, people will come and if you want to, If you want to fill the pews of this building, you could do it. You could do it. But that's not the goal. Now, would I like to see every seat in this building be occupied? Absolutely. But only for the right reason. Because we could have rears in the pews and people don't have Christ in their heart. And brethren, we failed. It might look like success. But if we're not leading people to put Christ in their heart... We're just spinning our wheels. 
It looks like success, but it's not success. I'll tell you another thing that's not the goal, and that's to keep the church open. You say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on now. No, that's not the goal. It's necessity. That's what it is. It's a necessity. And when I say keep the church open, I don't mean Monday through Saturday. I mean, a lot of times I talk to people and I say, how's the church doing? They say, well, we're not going forward, but we're holding our own. I don't know what that means. I'm glad you're holding your own. But there's no vision there. There's no vision. Friends, that's not our goal, to just hold the church open. It's not our goal. Do we need to church, hold the church? Absolutely. But that's not the goal. And I say that because just because we're holding the church open doesn't mean we're succeeding. Our goal is not just to assemble. And I don't want to minimize the importance of assembling. And we're going to talk about that just here in a few minutes. But I'll tell you, just because we come to church and we check our boxes off and we say, I went and I worship God today, it does not mean God is glorified or we fulfilled our purpose in Christ. So what is the mission? What is our mission? What is your mission? Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 16, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. That's the mission. You know, there's three parts of this I want to think about. And the first of all is the mission. And this is the mission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're going to come back to that a little bit later and talk about that idea of the world. But I just want you to know that's the mission that God gave to his apostles. And that's the mission that God has for us. It's to take the gospel to the world. It's not to fill people up full of worldly hope. It's not to give them some experience. It's not to just fill this building. The goal is to bring souls to Jesus Christ so they can be saved and rescued through his blood. That's the goal. And if we're not doing that, if everything we're doing is not for that... We've missed the mark somewhere. We've gotten off focus. Did they have an expectation? Yeah. They expected people to believe it. That's what the Lord expects. There's an expectation from this work, this mission. See, this is not the mission. This is the mission that we have. But this is the expectation. You know why some people don't do the mission? Well, nobody wants to hear the gospel anymore. They just don't care. Do you believe that? Truly believe that? If you do, why are you here? I'll tell you, if you got that in your mind, you think nobody wants to hear the gospel. I don't know who told you that or who made you believe that, but they're a liar. That is not true. I'll tell you, there are people out there right now whose lives are broken. And they would love to hear the gospel of Christ to fill them up with real hope and joy. They want to hear it. And Jesus expected that. People will believe the gospel and they will be baptized. And you know what? They will be saved and that's the goal. That's the goal. Similarly in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, adding something else to that mission, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is a secondary part of that mission. Not only do I want you to go into the world and preach the gospel, I want you to take those people and turn them into disciples. I want you to teach them all the things that I have taught you so that they'll observe it. And so if we want to condense the goal, the mission, it is to reach out to the lost and to nurture the saved. To nurture the saved. 
In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 it says he gave him, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. I want to encourage you tonight to appreciate your teachers. I'm not going to elevate this congregation above others, but I'm going to tell you, you've got good teachers here that work hard to edify you. And don't take that for granted. And I'm going to tell you why. Because some people have no vision in this. They're slot fillers. They get up. They preach. They have no vision. They have no goal. And I'm going to tell you what happens. You've got a bunch of babies that are immature that don't know the truth. And they can't contend for the truth. And I'll tell you what that will breed. Nobody is going to be mission-centered. Nobody. We've got to grow in our own knowledge, in our personal knowledge. And maybe tonight you're older and you look at yourself as a babe. Well, look, God doesn't expect that for you. He expects you to mature and to grow and learn. Why? Because we're all working together for the same purpose. Look at verse 15. He says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Now listen to verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love do you see three times how he mentions the total the whole of the church the whole body every joint every part you have a part to play in this mission he mentions leadership at the first of this he talks about elders evangelists and teachers Elders, evangelists, and teachers. And you know, sometimes this is the model, we think. This is the model. That elders are to go and do this work. Evangelists are to go to do this work. Teachers are to go and fulfill the mission. That is true. They are. But the, the goal, the bigger goal that he's talking about here is that they're equipping and edifying. Why? So the saints can grow so they can be part of the mission. Does that mean everybody's a teacher? I'm going to be honest with you. I think we've done people a disfavor by telling everybody you need to be a teacher. The Bible specifically says, are all teachers? No, they're not. Not all are teachers. Not all are teachers. But I want you to know something. You have a part to play. Even if you're not a teacher, even if you can't teach, you have a valuable part to play in the mission. That's what I want to talk to you about for the next few minutes. How can you impact those in your life? Well, let's ask this. How did the early church do that? Was it just through teaching? What do we see in Acts chapter 2? I'll tell you one thing we see in Acts chapter 2 and in other places in the, in the scriptures. There was visible evidence of their transformation. Visible evidence of their transformation. That's very different from sometimes what we see in people's lives. You know what sometimes we see? A change of geography, and that's about it. 
People sometimes hear the gospel, they come to Christ, they're baptized into Christ, and they start coming to church. And that's what they do. That's what they do. Is that what God wants? What does God want from us? You know what Paul said? Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what he's saying? I'm different. I'm not the same man. I don't do the same things. I don't think the same way. I don't say the same things. I'll tell you what happened. I killed me. I'm crucified with Christ. That guy's dead. And now Christ lives in me. And what I do, what I, how I think, what I say is all determined by him because he's my Lord. He is my master. He has control of my life. And I want, you to, I want you to think about yourself. When you go out and you're interacting with people you work with, people that you know, your acquaintances, do they see Christ in your life? Do they see a visible change? Do they see the evidence of your transformation? Because I'm going to tell you, friends, that'll preach. That'll preach. Acts chapter 19 and 18. It says, And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. These people in Ephesus were accustomed to witchcraft. They were accustomed to, to what we might call black magic. You know what they did? They showed the world, we're not like that anymore. You're saying, Ian, are you saying we ought to have a book burning? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying what these people did was visible. You know what they did? First off, they removed temptation from their life. That's what they did. That's what they were doing. They weren't having a book burning to make a spectacle of themselves. They burned these books because it was a temptation. They knew it was a temptation. They were concerned about going back to it. Or maybe about others being affected by this sinful temptation. So they got rid of it. They got serious about transformation in their life. And I'll tell you, it was costly. It was costly. And I want you to know something. If you get serious about transformation in your life... It will be costly. It'll be costly. You have to change where you go. Maybe who you interact with. You may have to change some habits. But you know why they did that? Because it was worth it. Look at what the result of that was. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. What were they preaching? I don't know. Yes, we do. We know exactly what they're preaching. They're preaching the gospel of Jesus. And because of these people's transformation, the evidence of their transformation, that preached. They said, these people are serious. Look at what they've done. Look at the sacrifice they're making. It must be worth it. It was intriguing to people. Do you know what's not intriguing to people? When we live like the world. Paul said, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. You know what he's saying? How am I going to stand up and tell people to live for God if I don't? How can I stand up and say, guard yourself against temptation when I'm not willing to? Or stop sinning when I'm living in sin? I'm disqualified from preaching the gospel. 
The world wants nothing to do, nothing to do with Christianity when Christianity is just like the world. You know why the gospel, why a lot of people don't want to hear the gospel today? Because they go around and they see hypocrisy. They see people who say, hey, come go to church with me. And I'll tell you what they're doing on the weekend, living in sin. Living in sin. That won't preach, friends. That don't preach. But I'll tell you, when we live it, and there's visible evidence of our transformation, the world takes notice. And the gospel is powerful. Just as powerful as it was in the first century. Mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Mightily. And it'll do that here in Wheeler, Texas. Number two, they were together. In Acts chapter 2, shortly after they were baptized, it tells us that all who believed were together and had all things in common. So daily, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. I told you we'd talk about hospitality and fellowship a little bit later, and this is where I want to talk about that. We minimize the importance of this. I'm going to tell you something. God did not just call us to go to church. He called us to be the church. And this is what the church does. It's not a burden. It's not a secondary part of life. We're together. They didn't just share a day on Sunday in assembly. They shared each other's lives. They sold what they had. Why? Because they loved each other that much. I'm not telling you you need to do that. I'm telling you how much they loved and they wanted to share each other's lives. They spent every day together. You say, we can't spend every day together. I know that, but I'll tell you what we can do. We can do better. We can do better. Can you do better? Can you? Is that a priority in your life, to be together with the saints? I'll tell you, we'll make all kinds of things priorities, and we put this on the back burner. Why? Because we don't feel like it's that important. It was important to them. It was very important to them. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Why did they get together and eat? You ever thought about that? I mean, that seems like all we do. We, we get together. We have church. What do we do? We eat. Isn't that kind of weird? <laughs> that everything involves food? I'll tell you something. There's something about food. You know, you get together and you eat delicious food and it, it starts releasing dopamine in your brain and you start feeling happy. You ever get that sensation? I do. That's why we eat so much a lot of times. Because we get a pleasurable sensation from it. And I think of foods that do that. I'll tell you, there's nothing to me that's better than a well-cooked steak. But I'll tell you what. I'd rather sit at Josh's dinner table with a salad than eat a T-bone at my house alone. That's what he's talking about here. It's good to be with the people of God. You've got an opportunity for togetherness every single Sunday. People go in here and they eat with love. It's not just about eating. It's about eating with love. It's about being together and about 
kindling relationships and keeping those strong and growing. We learn more about each other. I'll tell you one of the greatest blessings that Toy and I experienced is when we started coming over here. And it started out, we talked to Mountain Brahman and Monty and Jennifer. And we said, let's bring food over when we come so we don't have to go back home. And pretty soon it turned from eight or nine people into 50 people. And it was organic and everybody stayed and ate. And all of a sudden we got to know people. And I thought, I thought I knew these people. No, we got to know each other better. You know what happened? Our love grew. Our love grew. And it strengthened our faith. It encouraged us. That's what togetherness is about. It's not just so we can say, ha, we fulfilled our role to fellowship. No. I tell you, we're just like coals in a fire. You know what happens to coals in a fire? You put them together and they feed off each other. And every coal gets warmth. And every coal is important. But you take one of those coals out and you put it off by itself. You know what it does? It burns out. I have people all the time telling me, they said, we don't have to come to church. We don't have to come to fellowship. We can worship God at home. Look, you can worship God anywhere. But I'm going to tell you what you don't do. You don't edify anybody. You may sit at home and sing praises to God and worship God, but you edify no one by doing that. And Christianity is not a consumer's religion. It's a religion of contributing. We're all a part of something. We all contribute. We don't just take, we give. We give. You're an important coal in the fire. And somebody's feeding off of you. And they need you next to them. They need you to support them and encourage them and sometimes admonish them or rebuke them. You are needed. And we need to be together and spend time together. And I'll tell you what, people in the world see that and they, it blows their mind. But you know what I'm convinced of? Even people in the world long for that. You don't believe that? Why do you think young people join gangs? You think they do that so they can be tough? You know why they do that? Because they're lost. They're confused. And they want to be a part of something. And they feel strong being a part of something and as confused and wrong as they are. I'll tell you what they're longing for. Something that God's put right here. Right here. And you see people joining all kinds of clubs. And I'm not knocking all these clubs. Some of them do good work like the Lions Club or the Kiowas or or, or you name your club. I'll tell you, people like to be a part of something. God's given you something to be a part of. And I'm going to tell you, nothing will enrich your life greater than being a part of the kingdom of God. And I, I'm, I'm saying it's not just about coming to church and going home. It's about being a part of the church. It's about being the church. And I'll tell you, that'll preach. That'll preach all day. Lastly, the gospel was powerful. And one of the reasons it was is because their joy was in Christ. John 15 and verse 9 says, As the Father loved me, this is Jesus speaking, I also have loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. I'll tell you what discourages me is I see a lot of joyless Christianity. Joyless. Joyless. 
Why is that? Focus. Our focus is off. I want you to think just for a minute about Paul and Silas with me. I know we know this story, but I want us to really think about what's going on here. It says, when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I'm going to tell you, if I'm in this situation, I'm not happy. I'm not full of joy, right? Isn't that how we think? This is terrible. We don't deserve this. We don't deserve to be here. And yet we're sitting here and our backs are bleeding and we're in pain. And we don't know what's going to happen. There's uncertainty ahead. And what were they doing? Singing and praising God. Singing and praising God. You know why? Because their joy wasn't in their backs and their freedom. And having their rights stripped away. And injustice, that wasn't where their joy was. They had joy in spite of all the bad things that were happening because their joy was in Christ Jesus. Where's ours? We find ourselves saying, well, I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when. I'm going to tell you something. Heaven's our home. And if that's not something to be happy about, I don't know what is. Their joy was in Jesus. And I want you to notice this little phrase right here. And the prisoners were listening to them. You think he added that in just as filler? Someone else was listening too. You know who it was, don't you? It was the jailer. He was listening too. That man's soul was saved. This made an impact on him. Made an impact. Something that was more hopeful. Even in the face of uncertainty, perhaps death. In persecution, they were happy anyway. And I'll tell you, the world looks at that and they think, that's peculiar. That may even call us a cult. That may call us crazy. But I'll tell you, when your joy is in Christ, you can be in the darkest place and be happy. Have joy. The Bible says in Psalms 150 and verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him. In his mighty firmament, praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. I want to really pay close attention to this last phrase right here. Right here. I find myself sometimes not being as excited about praise when times are hard. Is that how you feel? I'll tell you, when times are good though, God is good, right? I hear that. People say that all the time. I say, how are you doing? God is good. I see those people in 12 days and something bad happened. I say, how are you doing? Eh, not too good. You mean God's not good anymore? He said, praise God according to his excellent greatness. I'm going to tell you something. If my bank account's empty and I've got cancer and I'm dying, if I'm in pain, if all the bad things could possibly happen in my life happen, God is still great. And God is worthy of my praise in the darkest times. No matter what's going on in my life, God is still great. Jesus still died for me. Salvation is mine. And friends, that's something to be joyful about. Because God doesn't change and his promises don't change. And I tell you, when you're out in the world and the world sees that, I'll tell you what they do. They take notice. 
They take notice. But I'll tell you, when we're walking around and we're tell, inviting people to church and they see us miserable and crotchety and hot-tempered, you think they want something to do with that? Oh, you're telling me about the greatness of the gospel of Christ, but you're miserable? I'll tell you, that don't preach. I'll tell you, you can preach a sermon without ever saying a word when you live your, lo- your life in joy and your joy is in Christ Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I want you to notice this right here. Let your light so shine. So shine. He didn't say let your light shine. He said let your light so shine. What do you mean so shine? In this way. In what way? Light is meant to give light. You know what sometimes we do? We come in here on Sunday and we praise God and we're with the brethren and we're all excited and we go out and we take a basket and we go and we don't want anybody to see anybody to see I'm going to tell you if that's how we're living life we've lost sight of our purpose don't hide your light don't hide that be a light you know, you may have read like, like I did earlier in Mark 16 and thought, you know, I can't, I can't go and preach the gospel to the whole world. You're right, but I'll tell you something. I'll tell you what you can do. You can preach the gospel to your world. To your world. Because I guarantee you every person in here has a circle of influence. And I don't know how wide that is, how big the perimeter of that is, but I'll tell you, you've got one. You've got people in your life that you interact with daily. Maybe they work for you, maybe they work with you. Maybe you just see them out in public. You can light that world. You can be a light to that world and shine the light of Christ. I'm going to tell you, when people treat you wrong, you can shine the light of Christ by being kind and patient with people. You can shine the light of Christ by being honest and just in your business interactions. And when we shine the light of Christ, people see it. It gives light in this dark world. I'm going to tell you, this world is getting darker. And it needs your light. It needs your light. And if you want to shine that light, I'm going to tell you what you do. You go out and you do the same things they did. You show the evidence of your transformation. You come together and you be a part of the family of God. And friends, your joy needs to be in Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, your light will shine. And the same thing that happened then will happen today. We rejoice when someone obeys the gospel, don't we? Could you imagine the joy that we would have if someone obeyed the gospel every day? You say, Ian, that's pie in the sky, is it? I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm just going to tell you, I've never seen every single person in a congregation working together for the mission. I've never seen that. But imagine what would happen if we did. Oh, it's pie in the sky, right? How do you know that? How do you know that? Let's get focused. Let's get together. Let's work. Let's labor. It's not just, it's not just about leadership. You've got a purpose. You've got a mission.
Imagine the impact we can have if we'll all just get centered on the mission. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.